people rarely forget. I'd like mm. to say never forget, but in some cases they will. So rarely forget. So if you put someone in a bad position, you sell them mm. a bad product, you give them bad service, they're not going to forget that. Right. And they're going to share that with their peers and their community. What's up, everybody? Appreciate you all for tuning into the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharath. I'm grateful for you for taking time to like, you know, tuning into the episode. Uh, today, I have a special guest. Uh, I have Dan Vescarth, the COO of Deal. Deal is a one-stop HR solution. And if you're a founder, a startup founder, like thinking to expand your team and working with global ta- talent, Deal is your thing. Go sign up at Deal. They do like phenomenal things like, you know, uh, working with contractors and like hiring full-time employees in, in worldwide. So uh, Dan and I, we had like a brief call before this episode. And man, I have to tell you guys, I'm super impressed by the immigrant hustle he exhibited and the way he actually uh, went from being a customer support rep to like, you know, where he is right now, the CEO of Deal, which is a big transition. And I'm excited to like get get into it. And let's unpack this beautiful story. Dan, welcome to the show. How are you feeling today? Dude, good to be here. I'm feeling feeling awesome. Awesome. That's that's great. I always like want to like, you know, hear that from from the guests. But yeah, let's Let's get into it. I think right off the bat, I have like this obvious question. Uh, so you work at Deal as a COO. Uh, let's tell us about what's your day-to-day look like. What are some things that you do that pushes Deal to the next level? I always have about 10 special projects. Out of those 10, I select a single priority. It's very easy to have many mm-hmm. different priorities. I think it's really important to have one. Mm-hmm. That is always the thing that I'll focus on from the special projects roster the most. Right. And stop nothing right. to get done. Right. And that's always a very high impact thing right. for um for deal um mm-hmm. for us as a business. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of from the special project side. And then also we have the day to day running of the business. So uh, yeah. Operations of deal is 600 plus people. We look after payroll. We look after customer support, payroll operation, right. financial crime right. prevention. We do mm. HR as a service, we've got HR experience. So all of that stuff is uh, dashboarded. It's running 24 by seven. Right. And so I will check in on that. You know, I'll check in on that multiple times a day and understand why is efficiency dipping in a certain country or why is there a backlog starting to pick up in a certain area or a certain topic. And right. that is something that living and breathing. And if you're not checking it, it's vital. So you don't know how its health is. Right. Um, so I'd say there's two sides. One side, special projects, those 10 things, single priority. Second side, it's keeping the business moving, keeping the business running. Yeah, keep keep the wheels going, right? So let's, let's cover the first part. Let, let's unpack a little bit. Uh, mostly I'm interested in how do you decide which one to pick up, which project to pick up? Because like you said, if you have 10 ideas, uh, especially you being the you know face of the company in a way that actually moves the company to the next level, what are some things that you consider that are priorities that moves the needle for deal or any advice for people you can give who struggle and suffer uh, in terms of prioritization between all these ideas? Being problem focused is the advice that I would give Mm. every project that I run in operations is solving some problem. 
right. quantify how big that impact is. Hmm. For instance, it could be a margin or revenue driven project, very easy to quantify a change in margin or a change in revenue. Interesting. Or it might be an efficiency-based project. Mm. For example, one of the projects we're running right now, Ideal, is setting up country pods of support agents that can do highly mm. specialized work within a certain country without needing right. to escalate that workload to second-line and third-line specialists. Right. But that drives efficiency for Ideal. It drives margin efficiency, but it also drives a lot of customer efficiency and improves the customer experience because mm. that query is now being solved at a first level. It doesn't need to be reassigned or escalated. Right. Um, I think that's a good example of where you perhaps have impact of uh, many different angles. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, I think what you said is kind of uh, makes sense even for founders who are who just generally struggle with what should we pick? Like, I think quantizing and kind of uh, tagging it to the company growth itself is going to like, you know, work a lot. All right, let's let's kind of like take a step back. And I want to ask this uh, specific question. In our brief intro call, you mentioned that you started a business at the age of 10. Talk to me about it. Like, <laughs> man, that's at the age of 10, you basically have to play with your, you know, with your friends, <laughs> not like build businesses, right? Yeah. What's going in your mind? Like what, what made you like start a company? Uh, tell me, uh, explain, explain to the audience uh, the story about that. I really wanted a PlayStation 3, PS3, my <laughs> <laughs> 10th birthday. And I didn't have the money to buy one. My parents weren't going to buy me one. So right. that said to me, if you want to buy one, you have to go and make some money. And then that will unlock right. the purchase that you want to make. Right. So I, I, I found on eBay that you could buy used... PlayStation 3s or broken PlayStation 3s. And I found that broken PlayStation 3s were probably 25%, if not 20% of the value of the brand new working one. So maybe I could buy that and I could figure out how to fix it. Anyway, I, I, I went through with this. Right. I bought one, I bought a broken one. Uh, it had a Blu-ray error. And on YouTube, there was some dude somewhere mm -hmm. explaining how to replace the Blu-ray laser mm -hmm. on the PlayStation and fix the PlayStation. So I went ahead mm -hmm. and did that and fixed the first PlayStation, played on it, got the games that I want. I was like, oh, okay, I can now sell this for mm. uh, some margin. And then I'll right. repeat another used one, and I'll change the Blu-ray laser, and I'll use that as my personal machine. I did that like three or four times. Like, oh, okay, this is starting to become interesting. And right. some of the PlayStations that I wasn't able to fix, I could then split those up and sell further parts. So I got to rinse and repeat this for a couple of years until PlayStation stop producing units with faulty blu-ray lasers a lot a right. lot of yeah I, I, it's, so it's kind of like you know necessity is like the mother of invention right you your your desire to like buy these little things uh made you to like you know become i think that's that seed is really important uh and after that what did you do like did you really love the whole business side of things like flipping adding like you know repairing and all that like what caught you like uh the most interest like okay this is something i'm really good at i think it was the community side of it mm. it was really exciting okay. i got to a certain point 10 11 years old and friends wanted to buy playstations and they had similar constraints mm. okay but they would me and say well can i can i buy 
can I buy this PlayStation from you? And they would do that. And then they would come to me and say, well, I've actually broken my phone. Can you fix this too? Mm. Before you know it, yeah, there's a very strong community. And then when, when you have wow. that, selling into that community and selling into that market is so, right. so easy. And I think right. that's what I found really exciting. And I've applied that in, in mature business, right? Mm. The last couple of companies and also investments that I've made. I think a strong community is really, really important. And I think re really back to the original question of what do you prioritize uh, mm -hmm. when you're running a startup? I think that is a really, really difficult problem mm. to, to solve. It's almost impossible to understand what to prioritize. Whereas with a big company, mm. it's actually pretty easy because mm. I have this long list of things that I need to do. Quantifying, prioritizing is way easier than when you're, when you're a startup. And I think when you're mm. a startup, your community Will really help you prioritize because they will create a market need or oh, i need this product i need it now and then you'll say as a founder mm. well okay i'm going to go out and build that uh, and then sell into that community-based market oh man like i think you've you've tasted firsthand community experience like way younger uh you know i i i really love that story because i i expected something else something different like maybe you caught the enthusiasm of like selling the joy of like, you know, or the thrill or the adrenaline effect that you get when you do something right. On the other side, you just said people, which is very fascinating to me. Uh, what are some lessons that you still carry from 10 year old Dan, 11 year old Dan, mm. that you still value at a higher percentage in your life about community or about doing certain things? Yeah, I think a couple of things. One is people rarely forget. I'd mm. like to say never forget, but in some cases they will also rarely forget. So if you put someone in a bad position, you sell mm. them a bad product, you give them bad service, they're not going to forget that. Right. And they're going to share that with their peers and their community. Mm. Second thing is world is really small. Mm. And I've seen that like, not in my teenage years, but the last decade in my 20s, when you're working in whatever industry it might be, like I'm in technology and specifically fintech, HR tech, mm -hmm. um, that community is really small. Maybe somebody mm. based in Hong Kong or Singapore, right. they will have mutual connection with somebody in London. And right. I think the point that I would make here is it doesn't matter what industry you're in on the professional side. The world is still really small, whether it's investment, banking, medicine, whatever yeah. else. So those things combined, there's no real running away from, from people or communities, right? Because the world is very small. And number two, people don't forget. So it's really important that you treat people well and that whatever mm. you're building is rolled mm. out with a lot of thought and care. Mm. I love that. I think both, both of those lessons are so powerful. The world itself tech especially man like it's so small right like the way you connected with me i had a friend who dm'd me like after i after me tweeting that this is my dream podcast list and he uh if i'm not wrong is andrew right like or andre mm -hmm. right shout out to him for connecting me to you it's such a small world. Like, you know, I'm a, I'm a big fan of deal afar like observing how you guys like make moves and like helping you know, remote distribution work solve and all that. And such a world, like, you know, we're talking right now and we're building this, you know, beautiful story out from you. 
i think tech world is really small and the other point which you said i absolutely i i, I suggest like people to go one extra mile to do that which is show care and show thought and build like relationship with with your community your audience your friends the the people you work with right and the people you look up to or the people you advise as well right everybody counts everybody is kind of like a you know a small family i love i love those you know two specific uh drops you made you're you're from uk if i'm not wrong right yeah so you you and i we kind of like share this uh this immigrant uh hunger hustle and all that like talk to me about like how you navigated that energy and converted that energy into fuel for yourself to make a big career out of it yeah I mean, it's a really interesting point because a, a lot of my friends in in my personal circle are, are immigrants or from immigrant families and most mm. of which come from developing countries mm. i mean the second or third generation but still like the the parents moved to uk or us from right. um, from developing countries i never really considered myself as an immigrant moving from uk to us mm. but i am an immigrant mm-hmm. and i never really thought that i had immigrant mentality right oh. uk guy in us um i didn't have this background coming from a developing country i didn't categorize myself as kind of like uh, having immigrant hunger and immigrant mentality and it's just okay. past year or so i had this dawning realization that right absolutely am and absolutely do have immigrant mentality it doesn't mm. matter if you come from the most privileged background in the world but moving mm-hmm. out of your country your city going somewhere else setting up mm. finding somewhere to live finding connections making friends fighting mm-hmm. in fighting uh, in your job and in your career to grow and elevate yourself uh, it's mm. really the same the same process Um, and it can happen at so many different, so many different levels, right? My my girlfriend's parents, for example, they work in in, in blue collar jobs. They were, they were immigrants from a developing country and Mm. the same thing exists, like the same, the same, the same mentality. And I thought that was like something I realized personally, I thought that was fascinating. Right. No, I I have to echo your, to your point, take Harry and Meghan, the, the Royal family, they moved to the U S even they're struggling. It's not like. you know they're they're the most privileged background you ever imagined right like they come from a privileged family they are everybody's watching them yet i saw their documentary recently i think a couple months ago yet they struggled to, to find a place to live so it's to your point it's so real uh it doesn't matter where you come from maybe you you have little edge if you come from a privileged family you have a little money and what not but you always have that struggle in and you have you have like a chip on your shoulder in a way right you you want to prove you want to build a good relationship in this new arena pushing yourself uh beyond the boundary and what not uh that's so fascinating i think that's what, partly one of the reasons i think why deal acquired legal pad you know i'm a big fan of legal pad there that company actually helped me break into tech when i broke into tech like you know my first job in tech i'm a, i used to be on h1b visa and legal pad is the one who helped me so shout out to them uh, i think partly that's one of the the reasons i think you were pretty much you know uh, involved in in the acquisition as well talk to me about like how uh, you guys treat immigration 
you know acquisition of legal pad and everything what what are some things that you want to pursue in the future to make things work easy for immigrants working at us companies and vice versa right like some folks working at uk companies and whatnot part of our mission is to break down borders whether it's mm. in hiring managing paying uh, your, your workforce and mobility just is a part of that story people want to move around within different countries and there are different pull and push factors maybe it's family maybe it's a business obligation maybe you're doing the run the business work we talked about earlier you need to be in a specific time zone or a specific country but mm. finally people will always want to move and the services available to make that happen uh i would say somewhat suboptimal mm -hmm. we want to optimize them make them available to mm -hmm. everybody on the deal platform so moving between countries is very easy Right. We, we've had an immigration service and an immigration offering for, for some time, even before the days of our acquisition of LegalPad. But that immigration service was mainly based in Europe or covering Europe, Middle East, Africa. The LegalPad mm. component is very mm. heavily focused on North America. So it was a really mm. great story, natural, right. natural match between deal and LegalPad mm -hmm. and the mission that we're on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, legal pads. Oh my God! I think uh, I have countless times <laughs> recommended legal pad to like many folks who are like who wants to break into tech. They made my you know my first transition super easy. I used to work at a corporate job, and uh, the founders itself they're very passionate uh, as well. They just want to like you know uh, they have skin in the game. They're very empathetic towards operators, and yeah, I think kudos on. It's it's match made in heaven for you guys, and I feel like you're going to improve a lot in terms of solving immigration and like removing boundaries. Uh, let's also take a couple step backs. In I want to unpack the whole getting into deal story, which is quite fascinating. Uh, but before there, Revolute, like talk to me about it. Like I think you started as a partnerships manager or customer service rep. You talk to me about like how you entered you know, that company and, and leading to deal, uh, what's like the story behind it? Yeah, I was looking for first professional graduate position and I studied natural environment degree in surveying and the, the blue chip companies in that space were particularly interesting to me. I had to put on a suit and tie every day and, and spend a lot of time visiting physical sites. I didn't want to do that. I've always been a bit of a, a geek deep down. I like being um, on the computer and working on uh, tech-based solutions. Mm -hmm. That's really where my deep interest is. I think deep interest is there and also in finance and capital markets, a uh, combination of um, of two of them. And uh, I had job offers from the blue chip companies in the natural environment space, but uh, I was looking for something that would feed my appetite for curiosity. Right. And right. Uh, I came across Revolut, fired off a application and actually spoke with the Revolut team on, uh, I think, Facebook Messenger because they were so right. small at the time. And I managed to get to the, the CEO of Revolut through Facebook Messenger. Mm -hmm. And he said, oh, okay, um, you know, come down for an interview and we'll, we'll find a position for you. So I was hired as a partnerships manager. The, the person that hired me 
was not at the business on my first day and they didn't really know what to do with me. He said, okay, fine. You're a young guy, go and do customer support. Mm. Uh, I was pretty good at that. Um, and then moved into the operations team and then mm. finally product management and general management and launched Revolut in the US. Mm, that's awesome. So you, you kind of touched uh, the partnerships, the customer service side of things, and you also touched the product side of things. Uh, how is it like, so what are some things that you learned as you progressed from uh, Revolute to deal about taking care of customers? What are some things that you want to pass to the listeners about how should they take care of customers? How much of a priority they should give to customers and the things that they should avoid, you know, and when they deal with customers. Yeah. I think first and foremost, you have to use your product. Hmm. Doesn't matter what your position is, how big the product is, you need to find a way to use it. I'm using deal 10 plus times. And right. I think the answer to that question is like very rarely um, do execs actually consume the product that the vast majority of their customer base are using. Right. I think starting off in support and actually understanding how customers use the product and how customers feel about the product and the emotional momentum that they build up when using it is really, really important. And then right. second to that experience in product management was also really important to understand how the product is built. Yeah, I think, you know, customers are, I, I, I love those both both of your lessons, uh, what you learn, learn from, you know, Revolute and whatnot. A couple of other things which I want to cover before we dive into the whole, you know, you getting into deal. So one of what, what are some important things that you learned as a product manager, you know, at Revolute, like some things that you still carry with you as a CEO of deal? I think always, always putting the customer first and knowing when something is significant enough to change up your product roadmap. Mm. Very easy for product managers to become obsessed about product roadmap and product roadmap accuracy. But there are mm. certain times where you just need to see what's in front of you and make a change very quickly. And that's going to have mm. some effect on your product roadmap. But Hmm. Um, really that's a good practice. I think it's good practice in business as well. When an opportunity comes along and you need to change something, you make that change immediately. Don't put it off. Hmm. Love that. What are some common things that you find, uh, in between product and operations? Uh, and that, that I think, first of all, I, I'm very fascinated with the fact with the fact that you moved from product management to like, you know, some, something completely different operations. So, uh, any commonality that you find really interesting that people should focus on? Uh, totally. I think that good product management and good operations always start, always starts with deep understanding of the topic and the story. For example, we're developing products at a deal, which are a combination of software and moving pieces or ops. For example, right. one of the things that we've recently released is um, called Anytime Payroll. Mm -hmm. We're able to pay anybody at any time, calculate the tax, make social security contributions, tax remittance, and then pay that person. This was a combination of software and mm -hmm. also a lot of um, a lot of operational moving parts. Mm. So I truly believe that the skill set between product manager and operation manager is very similar. Mm. Operation managers tend to have a little bit more bias to action and a little bit more business 
experience, mm. but fundamentals are very similar. Love that. Yeah, that's what I think, you know, uh, that's what my curiosity is, like what's something that you really like helped me, helped you move from product to like operation. So awesome. I think I want to also uh, unpack uh, your encounter with Deal. So talk to me, but I think you briefly explained to me how you met Alex, uh, the founder, and how you got into, you know, Deal. Talk to me about that, uh, how, it, how it all happened. Totally met met Alex and and Schwab both on the same day in in SF and they're also really big on networking and community. Mm-hmm. From that day of meeting them, I think I spoke with Alex every single day since then on WhatsApp. So we became incredibly nice. close, incredibly good friends, and developed that really tight um, CEO COO bond right from the get go. So after knowing him for some time, he gave me the opportunity to join us. Uh, COO. Previous job at the time was general manager. Mm-hmm. So moving from a kind of high growth general manager into a startup COO, to be honest, the transition was very easy. Most of the responsibilities are very similar because really mm. as, a, as a COO of a company of less than 100 people, you kind of are a general manager. You're doing everything and anything and you're just making it happen. Mm. Now deal is two and a half thousand people. We'll continue wow. to grow or continue to acquire other businesses and the 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 docket for a COO is like very, very, very different. And mm. to be fully transparent, I, I've invested a lot in in training and counseling and there's quite a few people in the industry which have been significant to my personal growth story. Mm. And the deal, the operations, um, the operations department is truly awesome. We have a high performance mm. culture uh, with 24, 24 by seven operations itself is in over 60 different countries. We mm. have teammates to deal in over 100 different countries. So it's a truly international organization. It's a truly multicultural mm. organization. And I have mm. a lot of fun doing it. It's, it's, it's awesome. That's, that's the important thing. Having a lot of fun. Underline that, guys. Whatever you do, make sure you have fun. And you work with uh, people that actually challenge you, right? And bring the best out of you. I'm so glad to hear that. And uh, I'm a big fan of Alex. Uh, you know, I love his tweets. So if... One particular thing which I want to also highlight about is you start as a as a customer rep, right? Customer service rep, you know, in partnerships and whatnot, and you grew to GM level, and now you are in the C suite, right? What did you do right in this whole process of going from zero to like where you are right now that you feel very proud of? This is something that I kind of figured out for myself that I want to pass it to the listeners. For me, the common theme has always been hard work. I think that there are many smart people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, the companies that I've worked at, but the, the, the thing which was always prevailed has been, been the hard work and mm-hmm. uh, you work hard to do the best you can possibly do in any, in any field or in any subject matter. Mm. And, you know, if I look back at the last um, eight years, nine years that I've been working at professional companies, like a lot of hard work and commitment has gone into that. Mm. Worked, you know, 80 hour weeks um, oh. or, or more, like a lot has happened a lot of times <laughs> and it's happened back, back right. to back. You know, when there's big, serious projects on the table, you can do mm. that for uh, for six weeks at a time. And knowing yourself and knowing your limits and knowing when you're truly um, 
you're truly tired and you're at risk of burnout and then knowing how to work smart and mm. work fast uh, this is this is really important but the the hard work has been like like consistent theme throughout the career. I didn't have to work fast. I had to work smart when I first started out, right? You're a customer support, I was a customer support agent doing tickets. I didn't know how to do this at all. It's just how many, how hard can I work? How many tickets can I do? How can I make the customer feel good? How can I solve that problem? And right. then apply the same thing in, in, in product. You know, I hadn't come from a, um, a background of a product or mm -hmm. engineering. So, um, I was faced with Figma files and screens and, <laughs> and GitHub commits. And you kind of just work backwards from that. And, um, and right. then you work, you build these techniques, personal techniques. How can I very quickly review Figma designs? How can I understand the developer's code as quickly as possible? How can I translate what I need to do into business requirements or vice versa? Okay, mm. different stakeholders. Uh, yeah, mm. so common thing has always been hard work. Mm. So it's very interesting what you said about hard work, uh, because I think you have to have like a, an appetite for learning, right? You always have to push yourselves to like, learn something that's completely new in your case like you said you're not a product guy you learn how to like you know figure the whole thing out do you have like a framework that you implement even till today like operations is not it's no joke like you know it's such a big part of a company especially a fast-growing company like deal what are some learning techniques or frameworks that you kind of implemented in the past and as you go right now in in working at deal uh, sure. I'm a, I'm a big fan of using different reading speeds. <laughs> so very fast, fast and slow. And <laughs> I think when it comes to learning, um, you should read things very fast in mm. the first iteration. And then you kind of have a rough idea of what's going on. And then from mm. that very fast read, you can extract the points that are actually really meaningful and will help you understand what's going on. And then you take mm. those points and then you build a kind of library and then you go very, very slow. And you ensure mm. that you understand everything and then you and you question everything and you ask and pull different stakeholders and different people together to understand what's going on um, mm. i think that's like a pretty a pretty good framework for for learning that i still practice still practice and will continue to practice forever i love that i think the fast and slow approach is, is going like you know it's it's kind of like a macro micro thing you know uh right i love that i'm doing this i'm doing this up in slack every, every morning you know, we, we have two and a half thousand people. Slack is the main tool we use for communication. Right. Um, so you have to consume so much information in about 30 minutes. I'm definitely reading Slack at a very fast mm. pace, very quickly mm. looking through the application using shortcuts and then anything which I believe is meaningful or requires action, influence, input, you set it as a reminder. So I'm, you know, eight o'clock, 8.30, do my very fast reading, drinking some coffee. And then I will mm. go into the reminders which require that slow deep thinking and then you think well how can i influence this person how can i create energy how can i create impatience on the right. project and that's what helps the yeah. company move yeah i love that so you yourself said that uh you're quite new to all of the things that you faced in the past and even now right like you're still learning you have this hunger in you, the immigrant uh, hunger and whatnot have you ever faced imposter syndrome, especially working with smart people around you? Yeah, it's not something I've really obsessed about. I've heard other people talk about imposter syndrome for uh, for hours. It's never really been something that I really, uh, really focused on. It's never really a big blocker for me. 
or big distraction. And how, how did you overcome? Like, what, what are the things that you did uh, <laughs> that you fight? I, I know, I, I think I have imposter syndrome every single day. Uh, even now I'm talking to you, I'm like, am I being, you know, uh, keeping up to myself, to your standard and whatnot as a, as a host and bringing the conversation. But I think there is no one shot silver bullet like there is no solution for it which is my take but i want to hear your take what is some how do you handle it man i, I don't know i just don't think i look at things that way i'm always in in the moment always taking a very short-term view on something um my my short-term view right now is just to answer your question as best i can and create talking points um right. i i'm not even thinking on that level and i really think on that level in the moment so it, it's mm. never been something i got hung up on <laughs> that's 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 smart like that's that's one way to like you know handle it it's basically like purely purely like you know dedicating yourself to this moment and giving your 110 uh the best you can uh to provide value and whatnot uh let's talk about deal a little bit like what anything that you want to mention that you you're about to do a deal like that's something that you know that revolutionize hr or like payment, payroll, and whatnot. I think the legal pad acquisition is going to really eliminate the boundaries, like you said. Anything that's exciting in, in the in the bag right now for deal? So, so I think it's worth taking a step back and thinking about where deal started. Deal started as a, a fintech company, really. We were a payments company helping contractors raise invoices and get paid for those invoices, and we're still fintech company today fintech is kind of at the, at the core of what we're doing and the core of the technology mm -hmm. but now we're a hr company our, our tagline and our mission is deal the global hr company right and i think the reason that we are here is because we've identified so many inefficiencies and exciting problems to solve in that hr space and when mm. you bring hr and fintech together you can do even even more so mm. what we're doing today contractors employees of record global payroll, I think really is just the, the tip of the iceberg. We want to get into areas like performance management. We want to be the HR system of record. We want to be offering game-changing benefits, mobility, uh, equity issuance. This is so many problems we can solve and right. we haven't got to the scale we want to be. Um, the deal is about right. 15,000 clients right now. Um, right. 15,000 companies using the product. I want to be 100,000 million customers using the right. product. And then we'll touch um, so many international workers around the world and we can use data to then produce efficiencies mm -hmm. and products which have never even been contemplated. Like data in HR is super, super siloed. And some of there's some companies and products which are trying to break those silos as mm. independent businesses and independent offerings. Um, once we get to the scale that we want to be at, we'll be able to produce those inefficiencies on one single platform. Love that. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely super bullish on deal for various reasons. One is, I think, again, going back to removing boundaries, uh, now everybody can work anywhere, thanks to the internet, right? Like, you can find interesting opportunities, work with smart people, and deal is making that super easy, which is as long as people are people have the craving to work you know or go beyond globally you guys are like there forever right so uh, which i think you know it, it's going to be a long 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 time 
I want to like touch upon one last thing about you've entered tech your your journey very young at a very young age right you 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 fell in love with entrepreneurship at, at the age of 10 and you grew super fast like becoming a gm and now ceo what advice you give for young folks who are figuring out things uh, especially people who want to break into tech any any uh, any wisdom that you want to share yeah a few things i think first of all use that global market previously companies were only looking at 50 mile radius of their offices mm. now companies are looking worldwide and they're focusing on the skills not the location so as a job seeker it's really important that your research is on a global level and you find mm. companies that are interested and you find and you find the positions of those interested companies then it's about persistence i don't think um, applying for a job is the case of submitting a resume i think there mm. needs to be more done than that you need to be reaching out to the people on linkedin following them on twitter understanding and you no know, maybe they won't notice you or maybe they will notice you and then that will that will help in your right. application especially if you are applying cross border from a different country from a different region of the world i think that's really um, a really important part mm that's love, love love yeah i think the way i did was uh i relied on two things one is creating serendipity for myself by being there like you know showing up on twitter every day creating content or contributing content to other people's post number two is proof of work like you have all the all the power to like take these shots for yourself like trust build a side project or a podcast or write a blog post or start a newsletter and whatnot i think like you said people are right now in a in a space and zone where they are seeking smart people who put skin in the game right and that's the power of the internet i feel uh, i just want to echo what you said but man this this has been like a very fun conversation dan and thanks for sharing thanks being vulnerable thanks for like being uh being so relevant to the folks like i think a lot a lot of my audience they they come from immigrant background they have these big dreams but they don't know where to start and i think you your story is a perfect example uh i think in my opinion for people to get inspired from you really are a true example so thanks for being on the show and like explaining your your journey narrating your story uh any any last few thoughts before we wrap up and just thanks so much for having for having me great to be here and um great to be part of your podcast yeah thank you appreciate it and again thanks for folks for listening uh we do appreciate your time and your attention that's like the most important thing for us uh stay tuned for yet another episode we have like lot many guests like dan more inspirational stories and more unpacking to be done uh, until then cheers